It's good to see you. I absolutely love this text. I told you guys three weeks ago, this, this text in James chapter 2, a six-year-old could preach this text. It's just so plain. It's just plain. And uh, you love to preach a text you can't mess up. And uh, I don't think I can mess this up. So it's my great joy to, uh, to preach it. I'm sure I've shared this quote with you before. Um, in light of the fact it's one of the all, my all-time favorite things that a man has written who's not writing scripture, and in light of the fact that it's a John Piper quote, I'm sure I've shared it with you before, um, but I actually remember probably back in uh, 96, I think it was laying on my bed one night in 96, 1996, and I read these words and I knew that they were deliciously true about our awesome God. Let me just share them with you. John Piper writes, In creation God went public with the glory that reverberates joyfully between the Father and the Son. There is something about the fullness of God's joy that inclines it to overflow. There is an expansive quality to His joy. It wants to share itself. So the eternal happiness of the triune God spilled over in the work of creation and redemption. And I love this last sentence. All of God's works are simply the overflow of His infinite exuberance for His own excellence. How many of you have heard me share this quote before? Okay, the church turns over so fast. I don't think any of you have heard it before. Listen to this. God, all of God's works are simply the overflow of His infinite exuberance for His own excellence. That's the God of the Bible. That is our Father God. This paragraph fundamentally enhanced my view of God. You know what, guys and gals? <laughs> our God is infinitely happy. Our God is eternally and infinitely happy. He is an uncontainable God. He's irrepressible. His exuberance is infinite. Do you know Him like that? Do you see Him like that? I promise if you see Him like that, it will affect the way you live your life. I looked up this word exuberance. It means joyously unrestrained. That's God. That's God. Those of you who are sitting in here who are born again, you feel some of that in your own heart. If you've been begotten of God, which that's what being born again means, if you've been born of the Spirit, you understand about that uh, uh, joyously unrestrained thing. It's in your heart. It's in your heart. And even, even if you just... We had a gentleman pray this morning. He was praying about the beauty of the created order. You don't even have to be born again to simply look at the creation and see the exuberance of God. You can see it there. So God's fingerprints are all over redemption and creation. You know this about Him, I hope, and I trust. Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy set before Christ, what? The joy of God is so deep and profound and huge and exuberant that it just swallowed up the indignation of God becoming a man. It just swallowed up the incarnation. Right? And it just swallowed up the shame and suffering of the cross. 
And it just swallowed up the fact that He who knew no sin became sin for His people. The joy and the love and, and just the happiness of God swallowed it all up. I love that. I love that about Him. <laughs> I love that about Him. And just think we're going to get to spend eternity in His presence. This infinitely happy, this infinitely happy God. You say, well, Jim, what's that got to do with James chapter 2? Well, not a whole lot. But I love to always, always love to talk about that, right? I love to talk about God anytime I get the chance. But it does have something to do with James chapter 2. Because if, as Sarah Groves was singing, if we've experienced that change, if God has put that heart of flesh in our, in our chest, He's taken out that heart of stone, He's put in that heart of flesh, if that has happened, there will be this overflow principle in our life. The very life of God will be flowing through us, right? It'll be on our tongue. It'll be coming out of our hands and, and, and uh, uh, through our feet as we go and serve and love. And as we share the gospel, there's this overflow principle in the life of the believer. If, if we're really begotten of God, it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be spilling out in our life as Sarah Groves says so well. So there's a principle of overflow in the life of the true believer. If God has indeed, as Ephesians 2.5 says, made us alive together with Christ. If God has, as Titus 3.5 says, regenerated us and renewed us by the Holy Spirit. If the third member of the Trinity, as John 14.17 says, abides with us and in us, friends, there's no way it's not going to spill out in your life. And that's what James is talking about. If it's real with you, it'll be spilling out in your life. Faith without works, what does God say? Faith without works is what? It's dead. If it's not spilling out in your life, it's not real. You're a victim of religion. You're a victim of religion. You've not experienced, you've not experienced biblical Christianity. Sarah Grove says, something's changed inside me. It broke wide open and it all spilled out. She said, till I had no doubt that something You'll see it in your life. You'll see it for yourself that something has changed. She's singing about Christian conversion. And that's what, that's what James is talking about here in James chapter 2. He's simply talking about Christian conversion. It's the thing we talked about uh, for six months last year as we went through that little letter of 1 John. What did John say over and over and over again? He says, if it's real, it'll be in your life. If you're a real Christian, it'll be in your life. And James is saying the same thing. It'll be visible. It'll be observable. It'll be palpable. It'll be, and this is my favorite word, it'll be conspicuous in your life. People will watch you and they'll say, yeah, yeah, I think they're a Christian. I think they love Jesus. They'll hear it in your words. They'll see it in your deeds. The way you act, they'll say, yeah, yeah, that one belongs to Jesus. This is biblical Christianity. It's not that dead religion wrote liturgy junk. No, it's, it's biblical Christianity where it flows through, where it flows through our life. It will be conspicuous. God says, my sons and my daughters are word doers. And so this is a challenge for us. James chapter 2 is a challenge for us. Are we word doers? Because God says, my kids are. My kids do the word I told you uh, three weeks ago as we started this uh, this uh, series here 
I told you three weeks ago that this is a timely passage because most of what is called Christendom today, faith has devolved into something that is biblically unrecognizable. It has devolved into uh, giving mental assent to the historical facts of Jesus. It has devolved into simply doing ordinances or rituals or whatever. Uh, and it has devolved into maybe a little church attendance if it's not too inconvenient. Church has devolved into this uh, in many, many places. Friends, that's not biblical Christianity. It's not even close. It's not even close. If we actually read our Bibles and hear what God has to say about it, what passes for Christianity in most places today in what is called the modern church is biblically unrecognizable. Biblically unrecognizable. Because it's not alive in the life of many, many, many people who call themselves Christians. Many, many people. Matthew 10. You know, you know that... Uh, you know, Jesus' call to His people, it's not neat, it's not tidy, it's not manageable, it's always radical. <laughs> it's a life-changing call. It's always radical, it's never not radical. It's men who have taken biblical Christianity and they've tried to domesticate it and so they can manage it and use it to, to exert power. But that's not biblical Christianity. You remember the call of Jesus, right? Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 to 38. And I told the morning congregation that these words shock some biblically illiterate church members, people who don't know their Bibles. And when they hear these words, they go, I can't believe Jesus said that. Well, of course He said it. Matthew chapter 10. Listen to, listen to what the words of Jesus. He who loves father or mother or son or daughter more than me what does Jesus say? They're not worthy of me. And then Jesus goes on to say, He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. These are the words of God. These are the words of God incarnate. It's always radical. Christianity is always provocative. It's always been provocative. It's always been radical. It's an extreme call. Take up your cross. What does that mean? The clear meaning is die to yourself and walk with the living God. Biblical Christianity has never been about user-friendly religion. It's always an uncompromising call to walk with Jesus. So, in James chapter 2, God is giving us a reality check. I, sh I shared this with you three weeks ago when we uh, began this short series uh, between verses 14 and verse 26. So let me just ask you, Everyone here tonight, is your faith genuine? Is it biblical? Is it God-given? Is it saving? If it isn't all those things, here's the deal. It'll be spilling out in your life. This is how you can know. This is actually what 1 John is about. He says, this is your assurance. You'll see it in your life. The change will be spilling out into your life. Or have we become victims of religion? Are we just merely churchgoers and church attenders who only hear the word and talk about it, but we never do it? What has God already told us in James chapter 1 and James chapter 2? He says, man, if you just hear the word and you don't do the word, what does he say? He says, you're kidding yourself. You've deluded yourself. 
That's not Christianity at all. He says it's a charade. It's a sham. And what did we find out three weeks ago? If we just talk it, God says, God actually says this twice. You heard me read it. God says, what use is that? God says, what use is that? And then he answers his own rhetorical question. God says, it's no use at all. He says, it's dead. That kind of faith is dead. That kind of faith is useless. Sarah Groves is right. If it's real, if the heart's been changed, it's in the life. And that is the sermon. I love, I shared with you uh, uh, three weeks ago that, that great paraphrase that uh, Eugene Peterson wrote, James chapter 2, verse 17, that paraphrase in the message. Some of you know the message. It's a, it's a great paraphrase of the Bible. Eugene Peterson says this, Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts? Does anybody remember? It's outrageous nonsense. Yes, we understand it. If we read our Bibles... If we read our Bibles and take seriously what we read on the pages of Scripture, we understand that God-given faith, God-given faith always changes the life. It always changes the life. We understand that. And that God talk without God acts is in fact outrageous nonsense before the Holy God. It's outrageous nonsense before Him. And I know that's a paraphrase, but I think, I think Eugene Peterson nailed it. Biblical faith always, always, always spills out into the life. And we saw that, un you heard me read it, we saw that unforgettable, that unforgettable illustration of mental ascent faith. What does God, la what does God uh, liken mental ascent faith to in the text? You heard me read it earlier. He says, oh, you believe? You believe the facts about Jesus? Great. Oh, you're orthodox? You believe, uh, you believe what the Word of God says about Jesus? Oh, that's great. Hey, guess who else believes? The demons believe. Orthodoxy. The demons are orthodox. They, here's the deal. And God says, hey, they don't only believe the Word of God. They tremble at it. They tremble at it. I, I love what MacArthur says. There's no such thing as a liberal, uh, a, uh, um, a liberal demon. They believe every single word of God and they tremble so God li he, he likens uh, mental ascent faith to demon the, a demon kind of belief this is how strong God is making this point this is how strong God is making this point for us. So, so let me sum up and then I'll get into the verses uh, tonight let me just sum up uh, from what I preached three weeks ago, which is James chapter 2, 14 to 20. Let me just sum up. God says three explicit things about faith without works. Three explicit things about faith without works. One, it's dead, verse 17. Two, it's akin to demon belief, verse 19. And three, uh, uh, verse 20, it's, God says it is useless. So God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. And then the Holy Spirit turns the corner. Verse 21. Holy Spirit turns the corner. He's been teaching us about a kind of faith that does not save because it's dead. It's a kind of faith that people all over the world in the church, sitting in pews all over the world, say they have. But God says it's dead and it's useless. It does not save. And the Holy Spirit's been talking to us about that. But then the Holy Spirit turns the corner 
in verse 21, and he starts to show us what biblical faith looks like. He starts to show us what it's supposed to look like in the life. And, and, and he starts to, to illustrate that and teach us about real faith, faith that does save. It's a faith that is useful. It's a faith that is alive. It is a faith that works. It's a faith that is spilled out in the life. So you heard me read the text. I'm going to be between 20, uh, verses 21 through 26. I won't reread that. But the first thing I want to point out to you in verse 21 is that was not Abraham our father? And I want to make this clear. We know that uh, James is writing to uh, his dispersed flock. We, we learn that in James chapter 1, verse 1. He's writing to his dispersed flock. We know he's writing to Jews. But when he, when he invokes the name of Abraham, he's not talking about uh, Abraham in an ethnic sense. When he invokes his name as father, he's not talking about him in an ethnic sense. He's echoing Paul in Romans 4 and Galatians 3. Uh, Paul says that Abraham is the father of all who believe. So Abraham is the prototype of, of, of biblical faith. He believed God and what? It was reckoned unto him as what? Righteousness. Abraham is in, in some metaphorical sense uh, the spiritual father of all who believe. So this is not an ethnic illustration. It's a spiritual illustration of saving faith. Abraham is the spiritual father of all who have been justified by faith in Christ. That's all that is. I just want to make sure you understand that that's not an ethnic reference. That's a universal spiritual reference, an illustration. So what I love about this, and we're going to talk some about this, you know, over in Romans chapter 3 and 4, Paul says that man is justified by faith alone. And guess who he uses as his illustration? Abraham. But wait a minute. James just says that man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Oh, well, guess who his illustration is? Abraham. Don't you love it? That as, as God fills out, gives us a full-orbed view of what biblical faith is supposed to look like, uh, between Paul and James, he uses the same illustration. It's Abraham. And I love that. You know, this is so we can't mess this up. This is so religious guys can't mess this up, although many, many, many do. But this is so we can't mess this up. He's using, he's using exactly the same illustration. And we know that there's been, con those of us that are biblically knowledgeable, and, and uh, we know that there's been controversy down through the ages between James and Paul. And people don't seem to understand. They're not contradicting each other at all. They're not contradicting each other at all. No, no, no. This is not a contradiction. In fact, I told the morning congregation, this is elucidation. And I know some of you don't have... English is not your mother tongue, so you may not know what this word means. Elucidation simply means that uh, it just means clarification and illumination and explanation. Paul explains James and James explains Paul. It's elucidation. This is no contradiction. That would be like saying, oh, there's a contradiction here. That'd be like saying the Holy Spirit is contradicting himself. Okay, we know, we absolutely know that that is not the case that is not the case. So regarding true, biblical, God-given, giving, uh, saving, justifying faith, Paul perfectly elucidates James and James perfectly elucidates Paul. And I hope you guys understand James chapter 2, but if you don't, uh, Lord willing, we can make it, make it a little more clear. I'm going to repeat to you a quote that I shared with you three weeks ago from John MacArthur uh, about this seeming tension between James and Paul. 
Listen to what he says. James and Paul are not standing face to face in confrontation, but are standing back to back fighting common enemies of the gospel. Paul is fighting those who want a salvation to be earned by works. We understand salvation is never earned by works. We understand that. We are Protestants. That's why we came out of the Catholic Church. It's not by works. It's by grace. Through faith we understand that, right? Okay. And Paul is fighting against those who want to add works to it. They want to make works meritorious. That you, you gain some favor with God with regard to your salvation by doing your works. That's false. That's false. That's not what we believe. And Paul... Okay, and James is fighting those who want a salvation that brings no change in the life. James is fighting that, that, that false conversion where the, the person says, Oh, yeah, I believe about Jesus. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. But there's never any change in the life. James says, That's not real. James says, That's not biblical. So that's, what James, that's James's point, right? So I'm still quoting MacArthur. Paul is saying salvation is only by grace alone. And James is saying the salvation by grace alone will always manifest itself in works. You see how simple this is? I'm not quite sure how there's so much controversy between uh, Pauline doctrine and James. I'm just not, I'm not really, I don't really see the, uh, the controversy personally. As I told you, I think a six-year-old, a six-year-old could preach this text. MacArthur closes, he says, there's no argument here, there's no disagreement, and there is no tension. The one thing I want to say to you, not only is Abraham the spiritual father of all who believe, but what I want to say, his life of faith perfectly illustrates the beautiful balance between believing and working. It's all in his life. And that's why Paul uses him as an illustration, and that's why James uses Abraham as an illustration. So how was Abraham justified before God? Paul uses the same text that James uses. Genesis chapter 15, 6. There it is in verse 23 of our text. James chapter 2. Abraham believed God and what? It was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham believed Abraham trusted the promises of God. Abraham put his faith in God. And Abraham was justified. There's no works in there. It's all by faith. And let me just try to explain to you what the word justification means. Probably most of you know. Some of you may not know. I looked at all the English, mainline English translations. And let me just give you so I can give you kind of a full-orbed view of how the, the translators deal with this, this Greek word uh, justification. It means that uh, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. It was imputed to him as righteousness. This Greek term is actually a legal uh, term that actually means to obtain a favorable verdict. Guess who obtains a favorable verdict before the bar of God? All who are in Christ by faith. Grace through faith. That is the simple biblical message. Again, that is the Protestant Reformation. This is why the Protestants came out of the Catholic Church. Because we believe salvation is only by grace through faith in Christ. Okay? And so, it's, it's, it's something God does. As we come to Christ, He declares us righteous. The righteousness of Jesus is imputed to us. That's what justification means. And we know Romans 4 verse 2. 
Paul says, if Abraham was justi uh, justified by works, he'd have something to what? Boast about. And if we know our Bibles, we realize that no man can boast before God. We don't earn our salvation. Now, in our works, we've talked about in our Heaven series, we earn reward, but we never earn salvation. There is no boasting before God. And in chapter 4 of Romans, Paul makes it abundantly clear. Paul was not, uh, pardon me, Abraham was not justified by works. He was not justified by circumcision and he was not justified by the law. Paul is very clear. I want to make an important distinction here for you between Paul and James. And this is very important. So I want you to listen to me. This is an important distinction. Abraham was justified by faith alone. But here's what I want you to know. James is not only looking at Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 when he declared his faith. James is also looking at Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 when his faith was perfected by sacrificing, sacrificing or being willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. This is the point that God is driving home to us in James chapter 2. If, genu if, if Genesis chapter 15 faith is real, then Genesis chapter 22 faith will manifest itself. If that, if that original justification is real, if it really happened here, if it was true, if it happened here, it's going to spill out over here. And that's what, that's what the Bible's teaching. That's simply what the Bible is teaching. This is elucidation. Paul clearly elucidates James and James elucidates Paul. John Calvin said it. I shared with you three weeks ago, faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. Okay? You get that? Faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. The, the works will always come. Again, a, a quote from... Uh, from uh, the message, the paraphrase here on verse 23 of James chapter 2, it actually says, Abraham believed and he was set right with God. This is a paraphrase. It includes his actions. It's that mesh of believing and acting. And this is what the Bible is telling us, that genuine Christianity, there's a mesh between the believing and, believing and acting. This is the biblical message. This is the clear Biblical message. If we are born again, if we're begotten of God, if God's done that miracle in our heart, it will be in our life. It will spill out in our life. Real faith is like the wind. You can't see the wind, right? You can't see it. But you can see the effects of it. And you say, Adam says to me, Jim, I have faith. I can't see it. I can't see the faith. But what I can see is uh, the effects of his faith as he loves and serves the body. You know, and here's the deal. If, the, if God's wind is blowing in your life, <laughs> other people are going to feel the breeze. Are you with me? Do you understand the metaphor? If God's wind is blowing through your life, everyone around you is going to feel the breeze. It'll spill out of your life. God talk without God acts is outrageous. This is James chapter 2. This is James chapter 2. I told you three weeks ago, God means for Christianity to be visible in the world, and that's your job. That's why you're still on the planet. There's no other reason He's left you here 
other than the fact he means for uh, the reality of his glory, the reality of his sufficiency, the reality of his love and power be made manifest in your life that the people around you will see it. That's the only reason he left you here. He's not left you here for anything else. Oh, he gives us subordinate joys and pleasures. Praise God for the subordinate joys and pleasures. But the Christian is here to make Christianity visible. That the lost might see it. And many would come to Christ. That's why we're here. That's the only reason we're here. We're not here to make a bunch of money and hoard up stuff. We're here to make Christ famous. We're here uh, to make Christianity visible. That's what God has left us here to do. It's what, I, it's what we said in Hebrews 11. Yes, I know I always go back to Hebrews 11, but I love Hebrews 11. Remember how we summed up Hebrews 11. What is biblical faith? It's real men and real women with real faith in a real God making a real impact in the real world. Let me ask you, is that what your life looks like? Is that what your life looks like? That's biblical faith. That's, that's Hebrews 11. God says, hey, that's what it looks like. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. That's what it looks like. And you remember what he says in Hebrews 12 too? He says, or Hebrews, 1, yeah, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, he says, you go do it too. That's what God is saying. I want you to go do it. Go make Christianity visible in the world. So, biblical faith. Biblical faith. How do we know Abraham had it? How do we know it was real in Genesis chapter 15? Because we see it on the pages of Scripture in Genesis 22. That's how we know. That's how we know. Genesis 15 faith will always be poured out into Genesis 22 works. Let me just share this with you. You know this, I've said it to you many times, a God-given faith will always be a God-tested faith. What happened to Abraham? The word of the Lord came to, to Abraham and said, and actually the text says it was a test of his faith. And God said, go sacrifice your son Isaac and I'll show you the place. What does Abraham do? Does he debate God? Does he argue with God? Does he question God? What does Abraham do? Boom. He rose early the next morning and he set off the place he set off for the place that God had appointed take your son Isaac your only son whom you love offer him as a burnt offering now why is Isaac the perfect test for Abraham's faith why because almost every promise that God has made to Abraham is going to what it's going to come through Isaac it's going to come through Isaac God had told Abraham he said he said, I, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars through Isaac. And he said, through Isaac, through Isaac, I am going to bless all the families of the world. What is that? That's a not so veiled reference to the Messiah. Abraham knows that the, most of the promises God has made him are going to flow through Isaac. So when God says, go sacrifice Isaac, what does Abraham think? Certainly he doesn't understand, right? But he does believe and he does obey. But Hebrews 11 tells us exactly what's going on in Abraham's mind. You guys know the text, right? I mean, God's promises to Abraham that they're dependent upon a living, breathing, walking around, procreating Isaac. Not a dead, decomposing Isaac in a tomb somewhere or in a, in a, in a grave somewhere. But we know what's going on in Abraham's mind. Hebrews 11:17 and 19 tells us, By faith Abraham, when he was attested, he offered up Isaac. 
And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In in Isaac your descendants shall be called. There it is. And Abraham's believing that. Even though it seems like God's command is contradicting that. So what's going on in Abraham's mind? This is real faith, guys. Okay? This is why this is why Abraham is an illustration here of one who's justified by faith and one whose works uh, give evidence and demonstrate that that justification was in fact genuine. Abraham considered that God was able to do what? Raise up Isaac again. That's how much Abraham believed God's word. That's how much. Isn't that an awesome thing? Isn't that an awesome thing? That's how much. He didn't really understand what God was was calling him to do. But that didn't really matter. He just obeyed. Is that how it is with you and Jesus? Let me ask you. (laughs) Is that what's going on in your life with Jesus? Or do you have to understand it all and line it all out and get it perfect and line everything up before you'll ever take a step of faith with Christ? That's not how it's supposed to be with you. If you're a Christian tonight, that's not how it's supposed to be for you. We're to be like Abraham. We're to obey. It's a beautiful, beautiful, awesome, awesome example. And let me just, you know, three weeks ago I I pointed out in verse 17, that little phrase at the end of verse 17, that that faith, uh, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And remember we linked that to, to verse 22 where it says, you see that faith was working with his works and as a result of the works, faith was what? Someone tell me from the text. As a result of Abraham's works, what? What about his faith? It was what? Anybody? Perfected. That's supposed to be going on in your life. Your faith is supposed to be perfected in your works. Let me ask you. Let me just ask you. Is your faith being perfected right now? By the way way you're living. The way you're walking with Christ. The way you're obeying His Word. Is your faith being perfected? That's what the Bible says. Our faith is to be perfected. We know that not only was Abraham's faith perfected, it was vindicated. Jehovah Jireh, what? You've got to love this. <laughs> Jehovah Jireh provided a ram in the bush. And I want to give personal testimony. Some of you could give testimony yourself. You know, Abraham obeyed God when everything was on the line. Sometimes you will too. Sometimes everything will be on the line. And you'll have to decide, either, am I going to do what God says or am I going to do what the world says? You're going to have to decide that. I've actually been in that place in my life. And oh, guess what I found out? Guess what I found out? I found out that God is Jehovah Jireh. I found out that God can be trusted. I found out that there was a ram in the bush. And if you want to know the story, I'll tell you sometime. Friends, you can count on God. He'll be there. All you've got to do is obey. Christianity is so simple. It's so simple. People are writing volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes of theology books. It's so simple. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do my commandments. That's it. (laughs) And men have piled up all this junk on it. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep what? They follow me. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's real simple. It's really, really simple. Okay, real quick. Real quick, I just want to make a couple more points. Stay with me, okay? And I'm going to be finished, but I want to make a couple more points here. This is really urgently important, I think, for, for us. Uh, there's a nuance here in the Greek. There's actually two meanings to this word that's translated justified in verse 21 and 22. 
And this is where some of the confusion comes in. The Greek word carries two general meanings. One, it carries the meaning in the sense that Paul uses it in Romans chapter 3 and chapter 4. It means to acquit or dec- declare righteous. And that's what, that's what Paul is talking about. When we believe God justifies us, He declares us righteous. He acquits us in Christ and imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. The other sense in which the word can legitimately be used is the way James is using it. And it's this, to vindicate or demonstrate your righteousness. Do you see? To vindicate or demonstrate. Okay, on the one hand, Paul says uh, that uh, righteousness is... is uh, um, that we are justified by, by faith when we believe, right? We're justified by faith when we believe and it's a declared righteousness. But that righteousness will be demonstrated. Demonstrated in our life. And that's the sense in which uh, James is talking about it. One theologian said it like this. James is not talking about the original imputation of the righteousness of Abraham. He's not talking about it. He's talking about the visible manifestation of that imputed righteousness. Do you, do you, do you get it? Paul's talking about the, the moment that, that, that Abraham was justified. And James is talking about when that imputed righteousness uh, became quite visible in the life. That's what James is talking about. There's really no confusion here if we will just take the time to read and study and understand. Just another couple of quick points. Did you notice in verse 23, Abraham is called the friend of God? How do you become a friend of God? Does anyone in here know? Obviously, as we come to Christ. We come through Christ, right? But what did Jesus say to His men? What did Jesus say to His men about, about being a friend of God? Jesus said in John fifteen fourteen, You are my friends. Why? If you do what I say. So let me ask you. Does the world recognize you as a friend of Christ? Can they see it in your life? Does the world recognize that you are a friend of Christ? Are you doing what He says? Lastly, we see this thing in verse 25. Uh, James brings up a second uh, illustration. It's not Abraham. Who is it? It's Rahab. Rahab is a harlot. And you go, certainly God could have come up with a more uh, dignified example than Rahab. Why would the Holy Spirit direct James to use Rahab as the other example uh, as compared to Abraham? Well, to me, it's, it's quite clear. God is saying, justification by faith, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter if you're a man or woman, it doesn't matter if you're a spiritual giant or a prostitute, it doesn't matter. I justify everybody on the same grounds. By grace through faith. This is what God is saying. And people say, hey, man, we could have found somebody better than Rahab, but God really likes Rahab. He likes this prostitute that He died for to redeem. He loves her. Oh, I could just go off on that. I'll have to restrain myself. He loves her. And she'll be presented as a pure virgin to her bridegroom on the last day. Amen? This is what Jesus does. He loves this harlot that He's redeemed. Man, she's here in James chapter 2. She's over in Hebrews 11. She's in Matthew 1 in the the genealogy of Jesus. God says, I changed my people's lives. And I changed their eternities. Oh man, i I got to stop. I could go off on that. I could go off on that. So, I'm closing now. 
Did you notice that Abraham and Rahab, they believed when everything was on the line. They believed when everything was on the line. And God was faithful. So how do we know that Rahab and Abraham's faith was genuine? How do we know? We see it. We see it in their life. That's what God's calling us to. A life of visible Christianity. A life of conspicuous Christianity. So let me ask you, beloved, as I close. God has given you and me a reality check on our faith today. And so as your pastor, I ask you lovingly, is your faith like Abraham's? Is it like Rahab's? Is it real? Is it visible? Is it conspicuous in your your life? Are you proactively believing and acting on the promises of God? Is God's wind blowing through your life? If it is, if it is, the people around you are going to feel the breeze. Sarah Groves is right. If the heart has been changed, the life will be changed. It will break wide open. There's this overflow principle in the life of a Christian. It will break wide open. It will spill out all into your life. And people will see it. And they will recognize it. And that's the kind of life I'm exhorting you to lovingly as your pastor. No more nonsense. No more nonsense. God talk without God acts is nonsense. As Eugene Peterson says, it's outrageous nonsense. So I'm exhorting you, Christian friend, if you call yourself a Christian tonight, no more nonsense in the world. I tell you all the time, you're a vapor on the earth. You have about that long to live on this planet. You are vapor on the earth. You don't have time for nonsense. You go out there and you glorify Christ. You make Him famous in your orbit. This is what God has called us to do. No more nonsense. And I'll close with verse 26. For just as the body without the Spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we, we love Your Word. <laughs> it's so clear. It's so clear. It's just so clear. Forgive us, Father, if we have allowed ourselves to be deceived by religion. If we've not been faithful to study our Bibles and understand exactly what You have to say about true faith. Forgive us, Lord, if we've allowed ourselves to be deceived. But now we know what You say. We know that Mental assent is no good. That's like the demons believe. We know that You're calling us to a life of obedience. We know that You're calling us to a life of making Jesus famous. We know from Your Word that if that Genesis 15 justification thing has happened in our life, there will be a Genesis 22 demonstration of how authentic and genuine that work was in our life. Oh God, may we be faithful disciples of the Word. May we be like the Bereans. May we rightly divide the Word. May we be able to explain this to our friends and family. That nobody around us would ever be deceived thinking that they can simply say they believe in Jesus, but there's no fruit of it in their lives. Your Word is so clear. And Lord God, I pray that 
No one in here would be guilty of the outrageous nonsense of talking like a Christian but not living like one. Lord, I pray that You'll grant us the wisdom and insight and discernment and boldness and courage and faith to walk out of here and live in such a way that everyone around us feels the breeze of God blowing through us. That Jesus may be high and lifted up in our lives and He would be magnified for His glory and His honor. We pray in His name. Amen.